Turn in your Bibles to John chapter number 12 this morning. Gospel of John chapter number 12. And we're going to look at a scene this morning, a scene of worship. John chapter number 12, verse number 1 says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the odor was filled, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. The first thing that we'll see this morning as we examine this text is an extravagant offering. An extravagant offering. And if you remember back in John chapter number 11, we took two weeks and we looked at John chapter 11, and in John chapter 11, we saw as Lazarus, one who the text describes as one whom Jesus loved. He was a a dear friend of Jesus. Mary and Martha were dear friends of Jesus's, and Lazarus had become sick. And if you remember, Martha and Mary had sent a messenger to where Jesus was, And by the time that messenger had gotten there, Lazarus had already passed away. And Jesus tarried there for another two days before he made the journey down to where Lazarus was. And he came on the scene, and you remember Martha goes running out to to meet Jesus, and she challenges Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. She goes, and Mary hears that Jesus is coming, and Mary goes out and She meets Jesus as well and says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Of course, the chapter culminated with Jesus going and proving to them, revealing to all who were there that he was in fact and is in fact Lord of all. As he went and he stood before the grave of a man who had been been dead for four days, and they talked about how, Lord, he, he stinketh, but he told them to roll the stone away. And he called out to the tomb after praying to God the Father in heaven. He called out to the tomb and told Lazarus to come forth. You remember Lazarus came forth bound hand and foot, very much 
alive. And so Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. After that, the Jews began to put the heat on Jesus. They began to talk about killing him more and more, and Jesus departed from that place and went into a wilderness area once again to teach and to preach until his time had come. Now, as we enter into John chapter number 12, Jesus' time has come. You see there in verse number 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Six days until the Passover. Jesus is very nigh to his death. He's very near to his crucifixion, and Jesus knows that his hour has come. His hour is just on the horizon. And so in the middle of this, Jesus has come once again to the city of Bethany. He has come once again to his dear friends. And he stops to share a meal with them. And while they are seated at this meal, we see that Mary, one of Lazarus's sisters, comes and brings an offering to Jesus. We see Lazarus is present there. He's seated with Jesus at the table. Where's Martha? Well, she's in her favorite spot once again. We find Martha serving. She's in charge of this meal, it would seem. But Mary is once again found at the feet of Jesus. The text here describes in verse number 3 that Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, this particular text here in John doesn't tell us the exact cost, but if we were to compare with Matthew and with Mark's gospel, we find that a pound of spikenard costs about 300 pence, Judas says, in his indignation against the extravagance of her worship. 300 pence would be 300 days wages, roughly a year's salary for a working person. So if we were to put this into uh, today's terms, uh, average salary in the United States today, it would be roughly $59,000 that Mary has just taken, broken, and poured out, never to be reclaimed upon Jesus. Now, I know we're familiar with this story, and so that begins to lose a little bit of its significance, but... I mean, stop and think with me for a moment how extravagant her display of worship for Jesus was. To take almost $60,000 and to literally in mere moments spend it all on something that you cannot reclaim. This was an extravagant show. It was something that was very valuable. You know, even today, a bottle of Spike Nerd, I looked it up online you can buy a 16-ounce bottle, so one pound of spikenard today, you can buy for $613. That's a pretty expensive oil. Even uh, with all of our harvesting and capabilities of extraction today that make these kind of things and shipping, right? we recognize all of that has brought costs significantly down. Uh, spices today, while valuable still, are much less valuable than they were back in Bible days because of... Uh, shipping and all the availability that we have. But even still today, this is a very uh, expensive, costly thing. And Mary takes it and she pours it out freely upon Jesus. But if you think about Mary for a moment, 
The last time that we had seen Mary with Jesus or in Jesus' presence in the text, remember her last words to Jesus. They were words of doubt. They were words of Jesus, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But in the intervening period, Mary has received her brother raised back to life. She has seen Jesus' power. She has seen Jesus' work, and she comes in thankfulness and worship to Jesus in this event. And she breaks the box, and she pours it out. She's obviously on the ground. She's at his feet. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. What a a humbling, what a demeaning thing. To us, it seems almost as a, a strange, I think we would find it very strange today, if someone came and they started messing with your feet while you're sitting at a meal. That'd be a very odd thing to us, culturally, You'd probably be rather offended. Don't touch my feet. Leave me alone. But obviously in Bible days, this was more of a normal occurrence. When you came into someone's house, it was expected that the servant would kneel and he would wash your feet. He would cleanse the the dirt of the road off of your feet before you sat and ate. And here Mary places herself at Jesus' feet in the position of a servant. And rather than wash with water, she washes with something exponentially more expensive. Rather than use a rag, she uses her own hair. The house is filled with the odor. Everyone that was present would have taken notice of what had happened. As we examine Mary and we think about this extravagant offering that she brings to God, we can see that Mary has a heart of true worship for God. She comes not in pride. She comes not in expecting something back from God. She comes not holding back from God that which she has, but she comes and she offers of the very best that she possesses. She freely pours it out to God. She brings a most prized possession and unassumingly offers it to Jesus in a heart of true love. How different that is if we compare her offering to Jesus, to the offering of, say, Cain in the Old Testament. As Cain brought of the fruit of his labors, the best that he had, and he he brought it and he offered it to God in a heart of pride, Mary comes and she offers in a heart of true humility to God. We see an extravagant offering. But then we see an indignant protest. Verse number 4 Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? So Judas sees what happens, and he's indignant. He's offended. He gets mad at what has just happened. What has just happened. The substance of his protest here, the argument that he has is, Why was not this sold and given to the poor? 300 pence. I guess it is in this text. I said earlier that it's not. It is. It's right there. 300 pence. 300 days wages. We could have sold this. We could have given that money to the poor. Think of all the good stuff we could have done. So, I mean, it sounds like a great argument. It sounds like, wow, you know, Judas, he's, 
He's really got a heart of love for the poor. He must, he must just really care about poor people. He must really love them, and he must give all of his money to the poor. Well, we're given a little bit of insight into Judas's heart in the text. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. So the real reason that Judas is upset here is not because of the fact that the money didn't get given to someone who needed it in his mind, but rather because he didn't have an opportunity to get a hold of it. It was poured out in such a way that he couldn't get his grubby little fingers on it. He couldn't partake. He couldn't pass a little bit into his pocket on the way through the bag and on the, on the way to others. We see the heart behind his protest. And we see a great contrast that is set here between Mary and Judas. In Mary, we see a heart of true worship to God. We see a heart of humility, a heart of love for God. In Judas, we see a heart of true worship of self. Judas's heart was one of true worship of himself. His heart was one of covetousness to, to Judas. He was his God, not Jesus. To Judas, everything was about him, about what he could get, about what he wanted. And so he is offended by Mary's worship of Jesus. He cares not for her or for Jesus. He simply cares for himself. You see, as we examine these two individuals, as we think about Mary and her extravagant offering, and we think about Judas and his indignant protest, there's a great contrast between the two. For Mary, as she thought of Jesus, and she thought of everything that Jesus had done for her, as she thought of who Jesus is, her heart was moved in love for him. Her heart was moved to do what she could. I believe it's the Gospel of Mark that speaks about, Jesus says, she hath done what she could. There was not much that she could do, but she gave of her best to the Master. For her, Jesus was big in her eyes. There was nothing too great that she could give to Him. For Judas, it was exactly the opposite. For Judas, his view of Jesus Christ is put on display for all to see. His view of Jesus Christ is, what a waste. I can't believe that she did that. Ah, could have given that to the poor. What a waste. What a waste. A waste to worship God in the flesh? A waste to worship Jesus? No, certainly not. But he's offended, and we see his true heart. But in the midst of this, and it, it is an odd story as we think about it. It's an odd happenings. But in all of this we see not just an extravagant offering and an indignant protest, but we see, third of all this morning, the merciful Savior. The merciful Savior. Think with me about Jesus in this text for a few moments. The first thing that we see is Jesus' mercy in coming to Bethany. His mercy in coming to Bethany. Now, if you remember back to chapter number 11, Jesus no more walked openly. He walked 
Therefore, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, verse 54, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. So Jesus, he, he gets out of there. He no more walked openly among the Jews. His public ministry has now closed for the time being. Because the next time that he comes in public ministry is going to be as he comes into the city of Jerusalem. And they, they proclaim that he is king, and then mere, mere hours later they turn their backs upon him, and soon he's ushered to the cross. But Jesus' public ministry has closed. The heat is really turned up. His hour is just on the horizon. And yes, Jesus is God, but Jesus is also a man. And you can imagine, and we, we get a, a small window into Jesus' humanity as he prays to God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane with great drops of blood. Jesus very much recognized what was coming. He knew that his hour was just over the next horizon. His impending death was coming. But yet, in the midst of all of that, and certainly there would have been a heaviness that would weigh upon his heart during this time, we find Jesus... In the midst of all of that stopping, at his friend's house in Bethany, to share a meal with them. And we see the mercy of Jesus on display in his coming to Bethany. Here he is, though there were many things for him to be thinking about. Though there was much that was coming down to him soon, we find him stopping and breaking bread with friends, spending time with those who he loves. Not only do we see Jesus' mercy in coming to Bethany, but we see Jesus' mercy towards Judas. His mercy towards Judas. There's two ways I think that we see this on display in this text. It would seem from comparing the texts here in the Gospel of John with Matthew and with Mark, it would seem that it's a possibility that Jesus is eating at the house of Judas's family, his dad. Uh, in Matthew and Mark, we're told that they are at Simon the leper's house. And you see here in our text, in verse number four, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. It would seem as if this is Judas's hometown that he knew Lazarus. Martha is obviously the one who's in charge of the meal. So I don't know if they're related in some way. But regardless, we see Jesus' mercy towards Judas as he sits down to a meal with Judas. Judas has this great protest and he gets all upset that Mary would worship Jesus in this fashion. Notice in Jesus' response... John reveals to us Judas's true heart, right? But Jesus does not. Jesus could have laid that all open for the group. He could have put an end to it right then and there. He could have said, guys, you know why Judas is saying this? Because he's a dirty, rotten thief. In fact, he's been stealing from us all along. And after this, he's getting ready to go to the high priests, and he's going to sell us down the river. He's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Jesus could have laid all of that out, but he didn't. Jesus, he instead, instead, he says, let her alone. 
Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Jesus spoke with gracious words. He didn't attack Judas. He didn't squash him like a bug. He didn't lay it all open for everyone, but yet Jesus simply responded in a gracious manner. Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. And just a few days later, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas comes up and kisses him, Jesus refers to him as friend. You see, all along, Jesus is merciful toward Judas, offering him the chance to turn, offering him the chance to repent, offering him the chance to come to him. But Judas would not. We see the mercy of Jesus on display, not only in coming to Bethany and his mercy toward Judas, but we see Jesus' mercy towards us all. His mercy towards us all. You see, this account that's given for us is a foreshadowing of what is to happen. As Jesus spoke on that day in answer to Judas, he foreshadowed his coming death. He once again laid out for them the fact that he was going to die. He was going to the cross. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. See, Mary here has anointed Jesus, for there would be no chance to anoint his body. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be placed in a garden tomb with a guard. And some three days later, he was going to rise from the dead. There would be no opportunity for them to anoint his body. In fact, on the morning that a group of them would get together and they would go with the spices And they were going to go and they were going to anoint the body of Jesus. They got there and they found out, you know what? Too late. The stone was rolled away and Jesus was gone. They didn't get the opportunity. But Jesus here in this text, he foreshadows once again the cross. He speaks of his coming death. As Jesus is sitting at this meal and Mary comes and in thankfulness and a heart of worship, she offers this offering to Jesus Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew where he was headed. And Jesus was faithful. He was faithful to the cross. He was faithful to the end. As we think about the extravagance of Mary's offering in this text, as she comes and she freely pours out this extravagant sum, this extravagant perfume that costs such a great sum, freely offers it without holding back. It reminds me of Jesus. Reminds me of the extravagance of His offering. For as we think about the extravagance of Jesus' offering for you and for I, for me, the extravagance of Mary's offering, it pales in comparison. It, It becomes paltry. The sum seems to fade away as we think about the fact that Jesus Christ freely poured out his blood for you and for me. Without holding back, Jesus Christ gave his last full measure. He gave the best that he could. You see, Mary's offering is nothing in comparison to the offering of Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus displays mercy for us all. Jesus offering his blood was poured out so that all of us could come by way of the cross. So that all of us could have relationship with him. He freely offered so that all of us could benefit from it. We see that Jesus is a merciful, merciful Savior. It's interesting there in the text in verse number 10, the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. you got to feel bad for the guy. I mean, he dies, he's raised to life, and now people want to kill him because Jesus rose him from the... Like, come on, give the guy a break. But we see in the midst of this, the reasoning, right? Verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. The the delusion that the, the Pharisees, the chief priests are under, as they see crowds gathering, coming to Bethany, they've heard that Jesus is there. They come to see Jesus in verse number nine. Not only that, they wanted to see Lazarus. They wanted to see this man who purportedly died and rose from the dead. They wanted to see with their own eyes on display what had happened. And it's sad that here they are, consorting, consulting with one another, trying to come up with a plan how to kill Jesus, how to kill Lazarus, how to get rid of them so that they can continue on in their own religion. You know, as we consider these things this morning, I think there's some lessons for us to learn. As we think about worship this morning, you know, it is proper, it is fitting for you and I to worship Jesus It's fitting, it's proper for us to extravagantly worship God. You know, oftentimes people, they can try to come and they can try to bring offerings to God of things that cost them nothing. In the Old Testament, David talked about there was a a plague that was coming because of his sin and they were going to buy a parcel of land and offer a sacrifice there to assuage the wrath of God. And the man who owned that parcel of land, he, he tried to give it to David a couple times in the text. And David, he kept saying, no, I, I, I want to buy this. Because he didn't want to offer to God of something that cost him nothing. But you know, many people, they try to come to God and they try to receive from God everything and not give anything back. And the reality is that that kind of heart is the heart of Judas. That kind of heart is a heart that does... It's not worshiping God. It's a heart that's worshiping self. It's a heart that looks at me and says, you know what? The one who deserves extravagance is me. That's Judas's heart here. He's not upset at the extravagance of the offering. He's upset because it wasn't towards him. He's upset because he didn't get to, to get a hold of the extravagance. He didn't get to have a part of it. And this morning, many people, they try to come and they try to get everything they can from God and their heart of worship is one that is turned towards worshiping self. This morning, if we would worship God, we need to get our eyes on Him. We need to remember what He has done for us. We need to remember who He is. And when you and I truly have a proper perspective of who God is, in a proper perspective of who we are, then like Mary, we'll fall at Jesus' feet and we will worship Him extravagantly. We won't hold things back 
from him. It is fitting and it is proper for you and I this morning to extravagantly worship God. It's fitting, and I'm not talking just monetarily here, right? Because that largely, that's the easy button. It's easy for us to say, you know what, I want to worship God. Let me throw some extra money in the plate. No, God wants all of you. God wants you to truly worship him. Mary here, she didn't just, oh, you know what, let me throw in a week's paycheck. No, she came and she extravagantly worshiped God. And this morning, you know, God wants you, he wants your heart far more than he wants your money. Far more than he wants your resources. But for many, many people, the problem is that they're like Judas. Their resources, their money, their things, their control of their life, their fill-in-the-blank is what has them. For it to be worship, it has to be humble. It has to be yielded. It has to be given to him. And so it's fitting and proper this morning that we would worship God. That we would gain a true perspective of him a true perspective of ourselves, of just how much he's forgiven us, and that we would worship him in thanksgiving, in praise for his goodness and his mercy towards us. And as we think about Jesus' mercy, we think about how in the midst of what was going on in Jesus' life, he took time apart to meet with them, to sit down and to break bread with them. And he references this fact in the text, the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. This isn't really the driving application of this text, but let me say this this morning. There will always be things to call for your attention. There will always be a to-do list. There will always be problems in your life. There will always be things going on. But there will not always be opportunity to meet with Jesus. There will not always be opportunity for you to come and to sit at Jesus' feet. And if you constantly and consistently say, you know what, I'm going to push aside meeting with Jesus, spending time with Jesus to do these things, then you're going to find that these things become more and more and the opportunities to meet with Jesus become less and less. Mary here, she worshipped Jesus. She had a limited window. He was headed to the cross, and the opportunity was gone. This morning, may we take advantage of the time that God has given us. May we make sure to guard the opportunities that we have to worship Him, to spend time with Him, to sit at Jesus' feet. You know, Martha... She was once again serving. This time, it doesn't say that she was cumbered about with much serving. But once again, she missed the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet. Mary, those that were gathered around Jesus, they'd chosen the better part. They got the last chance that they had to sit there with Jesus before he goes to the cross. And to break bread with him. To meet with him. This morning, we see a merciful merciful Savior. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful for the fact that he was merciful not only to those who he loved in the text, merciful to Judas, those who 
We're getting ready to stab him in the back. But that he's merciful to you and to me even still today. I hope your heart is stirred this morning. Stirred to consider yourself. Stirred to consider who you are. And in light of that, stirred to consider the crazy fact that in spite of who you are, in spite of who you are in your heart of hearts, that Jesus is merciful to you. When was the last time that you stopped and thought about that? I mean, really, you begin to look deep inside of your heart at who you really are. God loves me. God extends mercy and forgiveness to me. What an amazing thing. This morning, if you've never availed yourself of that mercy, oh, don't wait. For those of us who have, who have come by way of the cross this morning, it's fitting for us to thank him. It's fitting for us to worship him. Yes, even extravagantly. To not hold back of our lives from him. It's all his anyway. But to yield fully to him and to worship him this morning.